It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey now, I've got about 112 things to get to today. You know, some days you're just kind of scrounging around for material. Not today. So let's get through our smorgasbord of stuff. Maybe I should uh, patent that name. Just kind of own the brand, okay? Uh, Fox has bought TMZ. This was uh, reported as rumors or likely a couple of weeks ago. Um, Fox Corp CEO Lachlan Murdoch saying the unique and powerful brand that Harvey, Harvey Levin, has created TMZ forever changed the entertainment industry and we're excited to welcome them to Fox. Uh, This was a natural marriage because the TMZ television show, obviously it's the website that is the most famous, already airs on 18 Fox affiliate TV stations. Uh, A couple of reports say the purchase price was less than $50 million dollars which sounds kind of low to me, but, you know, I think all, I mean, this also has to do with when Fox sold many of its assets to Disney, more and more as giant mega corporations, you know, take over the entertainment world, um, you need deep pockets and a lot of, you need to be sold to somebody who can compete against these giants like Disney and Netflix, not to mention Facebook. Uh, So there's that news. Uh, Richard Johnson, you might not know that name, but he was page six of the New York Post. I mean, he, for decades, was the force behind uh, that gossip page, which became its own website and so forth. And uh, I've known him over the years. Pretty good guy. Uh, So he retired a couple of years ago, and that was kind of a big deal, especially in New York media circles. And now he's unretiring. And he's going to the competition, according to Vanity Fair. He'll join uh, the Daily News. Oh, he'll write a weekly gossip column. That's not enough to get all the city gossip. But uh, uh, Johnson quoted as saying, two years off was enough. I'm ready to get back to work. You know what? If somebody comes and offers you enough money, that's when you're ready to get back to work. And maybe retirement is overrated. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, so going to the competition, not going back to the post. Okay, this item made my day. Okay, it's about Clint Eastwood. Uh, he has a new movie coming out. It's called Cry Macho. Uh, it's going to be on HBO Max, but also in theaters. It's interesting. Clint Eastwood is 91 years old, and the guy is still churning out movies. It's unbelievable. His first acting credits were back in 1955. And according to the Los Angeles Times, he is now perhaps, I guess these things are hard to check, the oldest American ever to both direct and star in a major motion picture. Um, so he, the, the reporter asked Eastwood, uh, what's the difference between you now and you a long time ago? And Eastwood says, I never think about it. If I'm not the same guy, I don't want to know anything about it. I might not like the new guy. I might think, what am I doing with this idiot? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, in this movie, uh, Eastwood actually gets on a horse for the first time in 30 years, cinematically speaking, and throws a punch. Here's Eastwood's quote. It might not be as good as I've thrown in the past, but it was fun to do it. All right. I, if I can be 91 and punching people, <laughs> I would be very grateful for that. All right, Amy Coney Barrett, the newest justice on the Supreme Court, uh, gave a little speech in Kentucky. She was with Mitch McConnell, who basically was responsible for her being on the high court. Uh, And it's interesting, a couple of quotes from her. She said, my goal today, she's telling this crowd, is to convince you that the court is not comprised of a bunch of partisan hacks. 
She says the court is defined by judicial philosophies, not political parties. In other words, she says, I'm an originalist, you know, interpret the Constitution in its original form. And Stephen Breyer, who a lot of libs would like to see step down, is from the pragmatist school of thought. She cited a number of cases, according to the Louisville Courier-Journal, in which the nine justices did not rule along party lines. And here's what she says. She actually has a take on the press. The media, along with hot takes on Twitter, we all love those hot takes, right, reports the results and decisions. That makes the decision seem results-oriented, says Justice Barrett. It leaves the reader to judge whether the court was right or wrong based on whether she liked the results of the decision. And here's the thing. Sometimes... I don't like the results of my decisions, but it is not my job to decide cases based on the outcome I want. And there have been several cases recently where you could look at, you know, not just John Roberts, but other Trump appointees, other conservative members of the high court um, who have joined in surprising ways in going against the position of Trump or the position of the right and others where they do seem to kind of March in lockstep. Uh, a lot of people would point to the 5-4, you know, emergency declaration ruling on the Texas abortion law. But it's interesting that she is sensitive enough to that, that she says not a bunch of partisan hacks. But also, when she says the media just report the, the results and the decisions, how else do you want the media to do it? I mean, there's analysis and there's um, commentary on which justice is. Uh, aligned with the majority or minority and what the dissenting opinion said and what the majority opinion said. So I don't know, usually when you criticize the media, you say, well, they should do it this way. I don't know how else you would do it. All right, John Oliver. I have a soft spot for anybody who takes on their parent corporation, having been in the situation so many times over the years uh, as a media critic where I've had to report on, criticize, sometimes, you know, slam uh, a media corporation I work for because of a stupid mistake, um, correction, uh, something that was just biased or rushed to judgment or all that. So on his HBO show last week tonight, uh, John Oliver, he's, he's gone off after the, quote, rich idiots at ATT in the past. So, you know, he, he's on HBO. HBO is owned by AT&T. AT&T is a pop, in the process of dumping assets. And so I think... HBO, along with CNN and other parts of the company, are going to be spun off the discovery, but it hasn't happened yet. So he talked about how much of corporate America has decided not to weigh in on the Texas abortion restrictions. And he says this, it's not just silence here. A major donor to the sponsors and co-sponsors of this bill is a political action committee belonging to AT&T. Uh, which, pending our approval of our sale to Discovery, are still technically our business daddy. And he said he reached out to AT&T, or his team did, for comment. And the company says, oh, we've never taken a stance on abortion. Uh, and yet, and saying employee PAC contributions to Texas legislators went to both supporters and opponents of the Texas legislation. Uh, so John Oliver says this is both sidesing abortion. Listen, not taking a stand on this issue right now is taking a stance. And both sides in abortion isn't really the PR slam dunk they seem to think it is. AT&T clearly likes their public statements the same way they like their sell signal. Hilariously effing weak. Okay, talk about hitting them where it hurts. And John Oliver, not happy 
with the corporate daddy when it comes to the subject of abortion. All right, I want to get to COVID because there's a lot going on with the Delta variant and the surge and all that. And I look every day at the numbers and I had thought, you know, I've given you this over the last few months. It had gotten up to about 166,000 new cases a day. And then it started sliding back to about 140, 144,000. I thought, okay, this thing has finally peaked. It's going down. Now, maybe this is an aberration, but the average number of new daily cases yesterday, 172,000. I hope it is just a one-day blip. And it doesn't uh, suggest that the surge is coming back and getting even larger. Uh, okay, New York Times story. Hospitals in the southern U.S. are running dangerously low on space in ICUs. Uh, one in four hospitals now reports more than 95% of intensive care unit beds occupied, up from one in five last month. Um, experts say it can be difficult to maintain standards of care when the ERs are overrun like that. In Alabama alone, all ICU beds are currently occupied. Dozens of patients in the state have needed beds that were not available. This is according to government statistics. Spokeswoman for the Alabama Hospital Association said it means they're in the waiting room, some are in the back of ambulances, things of that nature. A reminder from the story, unvaccinated Americans are 10 times more likely to be hospitalized with COVID than people who have gotten the shots. All right. A poll by Morning Consult and Politico says, and this might surprise you given the way the commentary uh, and the media coverage is kind of down the middle. This poll says that 58% of American adults questioned are in favor of President Biden's vaccination mandates or weekly testing for employees at businesses with at least 100 workers. That's a key part of the Biden plan. But, and this will not shock you, there's a massive partisan gap. 80% of Democrats favor the Biden mandates. 33% of Republicans support the Biden mandates. And you get into other parts of the plan in this poll. 62% in favor of encouraging states to require COVID vaccinations for all school employees. 60% in favor of a vaccination mandate for most healthcare workers without the ability to opt out through regular testing. I mean, you work in the healthcare system. I don't even understand the argument if you're going to be a frontline person in contact with people who need healthcare. 56% support the same rule for most federal workers and contractors. But once again, you look at the, the question is asked a different way. 67% of Dems say vaccination requirements protect the right of Americans, meaning the right of Americans not to get infected, get sick, and possibly die, 66% of Republicans say that violates their rights. So the partisan impasse continues, but it shows you, uh, unlike what you might be reading in the commentary, that most of what Biden has proposed is pretty popular. Not Certainly not universally popular, but pretty popular, majority support. All right, Washington Post has a piece saying... That is, Republicans issue their sweeping denunciations of Biden's plan to force more vaccinations. Uh, questions are being raised of does this uh, extend to requirements for other kinds of vaccines? Uh, this has to do with Kevin McCarthy tweeting over the weekend, there should be, all caps, no vaccine mandates. Uh, now, by way of background, other prominent Republicans have made similar statements South Carolina Governor uh, Henry McMaster is the one who said he will fight Biden and Democrats to the gates of hell on coronavirus vaccine mandates. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik 
called Biden's mandates authoritarian and the work of a power-hungry government. So uh, McCarthy's office declined to provide specifics about whether he, as House Minority Leader, opposes requirements in schools, military, private business, that individuals be vaccinated against measles, meningitis, typhoid. He remained silent when twice asked yesterday in the Capitol about other vaccines beyond coronavirus. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin is self-isolating after being exposed to COVID, showing you again the global nature of this virus. All right, number two is a little bit, I don't want to say lighter, but there is an entertainment aspect to it. So Nicki Minaj, the hip-hop artist, is getting all kinds of flack for tweeting about COVID vaccines. And, I mean, you can decide, but here's what she writes. My cousin in Trinidad won't get the vaccine because his friend got it and became impotent. His testicles became swollen. His friend was weeks away from getting married. Now the girl has called off the wedding. So just pray on it and make sure you're comfortable with your decision, not bullied. Okay, do I really have to point out that saying that one relative who has a friend who had this reaction doesn't prove anything because we don't know that it came from the vaccine? Could it came from a STD? Could it come from anything? Uh, in fact, scientists say you have a greater chance of becoming impotent if you get COVID-19 uh, and not from getting the vaccine. So this has sparked all kinds of Twitter wars. Joy Reid of MSNBC goes on Twitter. For you to use your platform to put people in a position of dying from a disease they don't have to die from, oh my God. As a fan, as a hip-hop fan, as somebody who is your fan, I am so sad that you did that, so sad you did that, sister, oh my God. Okay, I actually kind of agree with Joy Reid, but Nikki Minaj doesn't having it, and she struck right back. This is what happens when you're so thirsty to down another black woman by the request of the white man, well, I don't, did any white man tell Joy Reid to tweet this? That you didn't bother to read all my tweets. My God, sister, do better. Imagine getting your dumb ass on TV a min after a tweet to spread a false narrative about a black woman. Yowza. It's not a false narrative. She quoted what she said. Now, Nicki Minaj also said, you know, I may get the vaccine. I'm still doing research. I'm sorry. This has been ravaging our country since March of 2020. There are reams of research available. It's not The, the vaccines are not even any longer available, uh, approved, I should say, on an emergency basis. The FDA has approved the Pfizer vaccine on a permanent basis. So I don't know what she's still uh, researching. Uh, Megan McCain, now a columnist for the Daily Mail, uh, tweeted something critical of Nicki Minaj. The result for Minaj, who can be just so eloquent, eat S. Thanks a lot for that. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, let me move on to the California recall, number three, which is today. Seems like we've been talking about this for a really long time. So guess who was in California yesterday stumping for Gavin Newsom? Yes, one POTUS, President of the United States. At a rally in Long Beach, Biden said, you can either keep Gavin Newsom as your governor or you'll get Donald Trump. It's not a joke. The argument here is that Larry Elder, who, if Gavin Newsom were to lose this recall, would become governor if the polls are any indication because he's far ahead of the pack, which is mostly 
other Republicans because the Dems didn't sort of put up a backup Democrat. So it's Gavin Newsom or bust. Um, has supports Donald Trump and has taken a lot of Trump-like positions. One of them in his interview with me on Fox a little more of a week ago is he said, uh, I am getting a team of lawyers together and it's very likely we will challenge the outcome depending on the outcome. So in advance, Elder was telling me, and he since said this in other interviews, that, you know, he doesn't trust the outcome of an election that hasn't taken place yet. Although, of course, mail-in ballots have been coming in for some weeks, and he may sue. Well, you know who agrees with him? Donald Trump, in a release to the media yesterday. Does anybody really believe the California recall election isn't rigged? Millions and millions of mail-in ballots will make this just another giant election scam. No different, but less blatant, than the 2020 presidential election scam. Okay, I, I just got to say, how do you question the results of an election that hasn't taken place yet. Um, Mail-in ballots have been used in this country for years and years and years. In fact, there are certain states where it is the primary way of voting and has been even before the election. Republicans used to love mail-in ballots. They would campaign for mail-in ballots. They wanted to win uh, a majority of people filing mail-in ballots. And so Look, it is very, very likely, based on a whole bunch of polls, although you, you never know who's going to turn out in this kind of special election, that Gavin Newsom will keep his job and that Larry Elder would lose. It was not so clear about two, three weeks ago. I believe, for one thing, I believe that Elder ran more as, a, as the radio talk show host he is and fought a lot of cultural war battles that he didn't need to fight. Uh, if he was going to win, he needed to run a more of an Arnold Schwarzenegger type move toward the center. I mean, he talked on the show with me, I'm, you know, I'm against crime and homelessness and all that. But when he does interviews and, and puts out statements, there was a lot of stuff, you know, including his position on being against the minimum wage, uh, skepticism, at least about climate change and things like that. Um, but when you say in advance, it, it, are we in a situation now where Republicans are going to say in advance then any election they look likely to lose is rigged. There's no evidence the 2020 election was rigged. Donald Trump continues to say that day after day after day. And there is no evidence, as far as we know, that this recall is rigged. And by the way, the nature of the California recall rules makes it even less likely for this reason. And the reason is, if this was a normal election, and let's say Newsom got... 49% and Elder got 40% and a bunch of other candidates got smaller amounts. Well, then you could say, all right, you know, maybe that 9% could be accounted for possibly by problems with ballots and whatever. You could at least make that argument depending on whether you had any actual evidence. But in this case, Gavin Newsom only keeps his job if the answer to question number one is positive. In other words, he's got to get at least 50 50% plus one. Larry Elder is polling down around 23%. But if Gavin Newsom slipped below 50, then Elder, if those numbers held, would probably win. But the, my point is, there would there is about a 25% or more gap between the number of votes Governor Newsom is likely to get and the number of votes that Larry Elder is likely to get. 
that kind of gap can't be explained, except, you know, this was an election where lots of dead people were voting, you know, Chicago style. It can't be explained by, you know, some voting discrepancies. But, you know, if there's evidence, I'll look at it. He's entitled to sue. We'll see what the courts say. But it just looks like, uh, it looks like the election recall uh, is being explained away in advance. All right, let's get to number four. Uh, House Democrats yesterday coming up with a big plan, how they're going to pay for Joe Biden's, you know, three and a half trillion dollar bill. And they're going to raise taxes. And by the way, you know, uh, Biden said as a candidate he would raise taxes. Said he would raise taxes on the most affluent Americans and he would raise taxes on corporations, uh, both of which he sees as not paying their fair share. To say this is a non-starter with Republicans on Capitol Hill is an understatement. But um, the way this is being spun now by the left, and the New York Times story kind of reflects this, as, well, you know, it taxes the rich, but it doesn't tax the really rich. It's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm not making this up. Uh, the proposal, this is the second graph of the Times story. Stop well short of changes needed to dent the vast fortunes of tycoons like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, or to thoroughly close the most egregious loopholes exploited by high-flying captains of finance. It aimed to go after the merely rich more than the fabulously rich. Well, should the goal of federal tax policy be to dent the fortunes of multi-billionaires and trillionaires? Or should the goal be for people to pay a fair share of their income? Uh, look, what the Democrats are saying is, if we try to sort of you know tax people for the sin of being fabulously wealthy... We'll never get this through. It'll just be a noble defeat. This would raise $2 trillion in income. And look, it'll be changed 15 times if indeed it even passes. So the bill would do two major things. One is, if you're an individual um, not married, making $400,000 a year, or if you are married and making more than $450,000 a year, your taxes on the income over that amount would go up to what it used to be, 39.6% is the top rate before Trump came in and his tax cut cut it to 37%. So we're talking about 2.5% increase on the income above 450 k uh, arguably for those who could afford it. In other words, it goes back to what it was during the Obama administration. But then you get to the question of capital gains. According to this bill, capital gains now 20%. It had been... 30-something. The White House wants to kick it up to 28%. This bill by the Dem says 25%. Uh, and plus, if you have an income more than $5 million, you pay a 3% surtax. But in the value of your estate that you pass on to your heirs, they don't really touch that. So Republicans don't even like this, even though this is the Dem's idea of a compromise. Uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce calling it an existential threat to America's fragile economic recovery and future prosperity. Now, the story points out the richest of the rich earn little from actual paychecks. For example, the aforementioned Bezos, his salary as the Amazon founder, 81000 last year. So a surtax on income would have little impact. Their vast fortunes are in stocks, bonds, real estate, other assets that largely grow untaxed. Okay, but that's the way the system is, is, is set up. If you go back and say, okay, we're changing the rules, and even though you we're perfectly legal in how you amass this fortune. We want to take a chunk of it. That seems punitive. So we will see 
how that plays out on the Hill, whether even this proposal can get anywhere, because it's a lot easier for Congress to cut taxes than it is to raise taxes. All right, number five, a blockbuster expose in the Wall Street Journal about Facebook. Facebook actually exempts, this is a very well-documented story, folks, high-profile users from some or all of its rules, according to company documents. This is not just unnamed sources. Uh, the program is called Crosscheck or XCheck. And, you know, part of it was sort of like uh, preemptive damage control. So when you have accounts on Facebook by celebrities, politicians, journalists, they didn't want to get into making embarrassing mistakes. But today, says the journal, this process shields millions of VIP users from the company's normal enforcement efforts. Some are whitelisted. They're just immune. Like, you can't do anything to them. Um, at times, X-Check as protected public figures whose posts contain harassment, incitement to violence. For an average person, you'd be kicked off of Facebook, right? For example, two years ago, the international soccer star Neymar posted nude photos of a woman who had accused him of rape to tens of millions of his fans before the content was removed by Facebook. Now, ordinarily, if you do that kind of revenge porn, you're banished. You're gone. Um, other posts that Facebook's fact checkers deem false, including that vaccines are deadly, that Hillary Clinton covered up pedophile rings, um, were allowed to remain. Uh, Facebook did an internal review in 2019. They found favoritism to those users to be widespread and, quote, not publicly defensible. So Facebook knew it had a problem. There was a double standard here. If you were famous or a journalist or a political person, oh, here's another fascinating quote from this review. In other words, these are Facebook officials saying this, but it's not public. It wasn't until now. We are not actually doing what we say we do publicly. This is a, quote, breach of trust and, quote, unlike the rest of our community, these people can violate our standards without any consequences. Talking about about 6 million Facebook users in this. Unbelievable. So Facebook puts out a statement now saying, well, some of the criticism was fair, but this was designed for an important reason to create an additional step uh, so we can accurately enforce policies. Some of the documents, uh, says the journal, have been turned over to the SEC. I mean, this is just a tremendous blow to Facebook's credibility. Just a tremendous blow. And there are other examples here as well. Um, there was a video. This is Neymar, the soccer guy. Uh, his video uh, bullying and harassing his ex-girlfriend reposted more than 6,000 times. Uh, after escalating the case, the leadership said the review, we decided to leave Neymar's accounts active. A departure from our usual one-strike disable policy. By the way, he denied the rape allegations. No charges were filed. The woman was charged in Brazil with slander, extortion, and fraud. The first two charges were dropped. She was acquitted of the fraud charge. Uh, and anyway, those who also have uh, benefited from this include Donald Trump, ironically enough, since he's now banned from Facebook, Donald Trump Jr., Elizabeth Warren, uh, and Mark Zuckerberg himself. He did a Q&A that had been suppressed after an algorithm classified as containing misinformation. It goes on and on and on. It's really worth looking at. 
By the way, Apple has got problems. Spyware researchers have found that all Apple, you know, devices, iPhones, iPads, uh, are vulnerable to uh, a surveillance tool where you don't even have to click on anything for your account to be hacked from uh, NSO Group's Pegasus surveillance tool. Apple just posted a, uh, a fix to this on Monday, which would be a pretty good thing to download if you use Apple products. And finally, in the tech area, the FEC, Federal Election Commission, has dismissed Republican accusations that Twitter violated election laws back in October by blocking uh, the retweets of what the New York Times calls an unsubstantiated New York Post article about Hunter Biden. FEC uh, says Twitter's actions regarding the Hunter Biden article was undertaken for a valid commercial reason, not a political purpose, and therefore was allowable. Because some people were saying it was, in effect, a campaign contribution, in-kind contribution, to the Biden campaign. Now, some conservatives say, wow, if this had come out, I mean, it came out in the New York Post. By the way, Jack Dorsey admitted that this was a mistake and um, lifted the ban, I think it was some days later, but the New York Post account was disabled for a longer period of time. Um, so the FEC is saying Twitter credibly explained that blocking the article was a commercial decision uh, and because it related to hacked materials. And that's true. Well, I mean, was it hacked if Hunter Biden dropped off his laptop at a repair shop in Delaware and that guy later gave it to somebody? Twitter actually reversed course in a day. So, so again, I can't get my mind about this. So it's a really bad thing to do, but as long as Twitter says, well, we did it because it was in our business interest to do it, even though Twitter itself admits this was a mistake, that's okay because the FEC in a kind of a narrow conception of its responsibilities says if you didn't do it for an expressly political purpose, i.e. help Biden hurt Trump during the campaign, then it's okay. I don't know. This just obviously is going to reinforce what a lot of people on the right think about Twitter. Now, I, I don't think, look, it's Biden's son who, who was a drug addict, has a lot of problems, has had a lot of problems. I don't think it would have turned the election necessarily. But it certainly wouldn't have helped the Biden campaign. So is that now a precedent for future such suppressions by Twitter or Facebook or other social media? We will have to see. Hey, we appreciate your listening. I think I got to all 112 items. Uh, we'd love for you to subscribe on your Amazon device or on Google Podcasts or Apple iTunes or on Spotify, pretty much everywhere. We're back here tomorrow. We'll see you then with more buzzing. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.